You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Most player comparisons are bad. Some are good, but they're all very fun. And when it comes down to it, basketball is a game. We're here for fun. I've got a fun player comparison game that I'm going to be playing on this episode of the Locked On NBA Draft. You are locked on the NBA Draft. It is a Wednesday morning. Hopefully you're listening during the morning. It is me, your host, Sam Ferris. We are in a little bit of a break before we get into the final four. The NCAA tournament has been as fun as advertised. And before we get into it, though, uh, I got to say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. I very much appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed watching the tournament as much as I have. Like I always say, it's basically a holiday for us college basketball fans. Again, you can follow me at Draft Dummies. I'm there posting my thoughts, posting stats, posting clips, always doing that work over there. But thank you so much for making this show your first listen today. Hopefully that's the case every day. So like I hinted at at the top, I kind of want to play a fun little game today. I know a lot of people scoff or look down at player comparisons when it comes to the NBA draft. And that's okay, because I mostly agree most comparisons are bad. Just like every person is unique, every player is unique as well. And so, sure, there are things that we can compare well to other players. And it's good for people that maybe just haven't watched enough just to get a rough idea of what that player at least looks like aesthetically or just as a player type. But most of them, most of the time, it's just really hard to describe a whole player comparing them to a guy from the past. It usually just does not fit in that cookie cutter so well. But we want to have fun. That's the point of this. If you're not having fun watching basketball, playing basketball, even evaluating basketball, then you're not doing it right. And so the way that I'm going to do this today is to mix a little bit of all of that some of the good, some of the bad, some of the fun. So what I've done is I've picked four guys that I thought would be interesting to look at, and I have picked a player comparison that comes from a statistical site, so basically a close statistical comp for them. And then I've also picked kind of a a fun one from the internet, mostly from like nbadraft.net. So some of those are pretty wild, pretty bad, but some actually aren't so bad. So kind of a fun internet comparison there. And I'm going to discuss with each of them which one I think is closer to reality and why. And then at the end, I'll try to give for each one my closest comparison with some caveats. So four guys, we're going to do that. But before we do, I just want to, because the next time I record an episode, the tournament will be over. So I got to give my final picks for the final four and for the national championship game. So Duke, North Carolina, they've never played before. I'm sure you've heard that stat a hundred times by now. Excited for that one. And then on the other side of the bracket, Villanova and Kansas. So I actually win 
my bracket competition with my friends if Kansas wins that game and makes it to the championship. I was one of the few people that picked Kansas. I've said it on this podcast before. I didn't think they were the best team, but I thought they had the easiest route in the weakest region. So I have to pick Kansas just because I want to win. And they did look really good in that last game. Um, And with the injury to Justin Moore, that could go one of two ways. Do we see them kind of rally around that and, you know, even exceed expectations? Or does missing one of their better players for Villanova hurt them? I'm going to go Kansas in a close one in that game. And then when I ranked all the Sweet Six teams left last week on the episode, I ranked Duke second, which I think a lot of people would have said was too high. But their ceiling as a team, their talent level is second to none. And that's what I believed then. And now they've made it to the Final Four. I think they beat North Carolina. Give them some payback this time. Uh, for the loss that they suffered a couple weeks ago. So I've got a Duke-Kansas championship game, and I think Duke ends up winning. I don't love, personally, all the Coach K um, farewell tour stuff. It kind of annoys me, like I'm sure it does a lot of you guys. But the talent there, the prospects, I enjoy watching them. Um, So just for the prospect watchability, they're high on those rankings. Duke Kansas championship. That's what I've got. And I've got Duke winning it all. Um, One other thing I was looking up before the show, because I kind of tossed around in my mind, just how easy was Kansas's run to the final four? Because again, like I said, that's why I picked them. It's not that they were even that great. Honestly, like they are good. They are consistent. And I didn't really love anyone else's path, but I just thought Kansas had the easiest path the easiest bracket and region and that came to fruition like even more than i expected so um the teams they beat to get to the final four texas southern creighton providence in miami florida now um those teams ranked on bart torvik texas southern 199 creighton 50th best team in the country providence 32nd and miami 39th now those numbers are even inflated because those rankings take into account the success those teams like Providence and Miami had in the tournament. So like they honestly probably didn't even face really a top 40 team in the country. Potentially you could argue on the way to the final four. That's crazy. Again, that's why I picked them. So we'll see if that comes back to bite them against Villanova on Bart Torvik. They are favored by two points. I think it's going to be as close as that, but let us now transition. I want to do this player comparison thing. Uh, which guy should I start with? So I've got four guys that I've picked. And the guy that we'll start with is... Uh, I'll do Johnny Davis. So... And the way I'll do it is I'll tell you the statistical comp that... Because the Bart Torvik site that I always quote, it's awesome for stats... If you click on the player name, it'll give you like their closest comparison in terms of the numbers in college. And so the guy that they gave there is the closest comparison or, you know, one of the top five was James Booknight. And then the one that I got from NBADraft.net, which again, I'm not saying these comparisons are good. I took it from the internet because I think it's fun just to see. And because, you know, For those of us that have followed the draft since we were young, we remember some of the crazy comparisons that have been on there before, like uh, 
who was it? Deshaun Stevenson, I think, was compared to Michael Jordan. There's been some crazy ones, and NBADraft.net is just a classic, let's be honest. But this one, actually, for Johnny Davis, wasn't that crazy at all. They picked Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Um, spoiler alert, I didn't pick KCP for... Another guy that I'm going to talk about later is his comparison, but I think he actually matches up better with a different guy in this class. So I don't really love either of those, to be honest. I don't think the James Booknight comparison is that great because even though a lot of their statistical indicators match up, Johnny Davis just inherently as a player was different. He's a better rebounder and defender, um, but didn't, well, you know, he... It's tough to say. I think you would have argued that James Booknight was a little bit better of a creator off the bounce, but I, I was lower overall on James Booknight as a prospect, so I think that's up for debate. But I think certainly the biggest differentiator is Johnny Davis as a defender and rebounder. And when you look at the statistical comps for Davis, it, it makes sense because he was such a good rebounder. I think one of the top three rebounders in the Big Ten, which is crazy considering all the good bigs in the Big Ten, and so all of his comps are actually pretty much bigger guys. So let me pull up the list of comps that they had for him again. So I know that James Booknight was up there as the main guy that I wrote down, but the other guys were like Lamar Stevens, the guy I really liked, was on there. Um, Christian Doolittle from Oklahoma a few years ago. Who else? Darrington Hobson. That is a classic name from back in the Mountain West a couple years ago. Then you go down the line, they've got guys like Luke Herringody, again, because of the rebounding. And so all these guys he's compared to are like 6'6", 6'7". And, you know, that makes sense because of the rebounding, the defense. Johnny Davis does play a little bit bigger than his size, but that's kind of my worry for him. And so I'm going to cut to the chase here in that I think... One of the closest comparisons with him, maybe it's because it's fresh on my mind, um, but Jalen Suggs to me is actually the closest comparison. And yes, part of that probably is because they actually like look so much similar. They're very similar size. So maybe I'm just including some kind of visual bias in that, but that's kind of inherent in comps. And so I would say that Jalen Suggs is actually a good comp for him, but I think I'd say he's maybe like 90 to 95% of the players Suggs is. He, in my opinion, is Suggs, but a little bit less explosive, not as good of a passer, not quite the defender. And of course, one of the main things is he's a year behind Suggs' development. Like Suggs was close to the player, in my opinion, that Johnny Davis was when Suggs was a freshman compared to when Johnny Davis was a sophomore. Um, Johnny Davis didn't really have much of a role as a freshman. And so he's just kind of that year behind on that development trajectory. And that, of course, as we know, is fairly important. So similar player type to Suggs, though, but that's kind of the worry, because if you're a little bit worse of a version than Suggs and you're kind of a six foot four off guard with, I would say, average athleticism for his position, maybe slightly above average, and I know my mind is being clouded because uh, I'm just remembering the most recent thing. And Johnny Davis was banged up to end the year. He was more athletic early on. I think that's definitely true. But still, I'd say slightly above average athleticism, but below average shooting at this point. So to take, again, a smaller off guard with those types of traits 
with average to slightly above average athleticism, but below average shooting. So not great physical tools and not great shooting, I would say. That's just a little bit scary. Unless you buy him as like a primary guy, I don't necessarily see that for him. I just don't see the passing and even the self-creation quite enough. So I view him more as an off-ball guy, and that kind of lessens his value a little bit. So again, like I wanted to hit on the shooting because I think the splits on his shooting are kind of crazy because just like Suggs this year, I think has basically been the worst perimeter jump shooter of like any guard that's played, you know, X amount of minutes. It's actually in a rotation this year. I think low key, I think that might be the case for Johnny Davis next year in the NBA as well, especially if he's playing a lot, which if he goes top 10, then I think he will. Career 32% from three through two seasons at Wisconsin. But this year, if you look at first half of the year versus second half, it's crazy splits. First half of the year, first 16 games, 37% from three. But then the last 15 games where he kind of wore down, he was a little bit banged up, you know, we can put the context out there, whether it's excuses, whether it's real. He shot just 20% from three. And honestly, the eye test matched that because more so than just is the shot going in, when you look at a small sample, you want to look at what the misses look like. And to me, it just looked like his jumper was going almost anywhere. Like he just, he really did not have great control and just did not know where that was going to end up. It could have hit the backboard could hit anywhere on the rim so not a lot of consistency in the misses the misses were kind of spraying everywhere just lost the confidence in my opinion in that outside jumper and so that to me is a bit worrisome and it's part of the reason that I have moved him down a few spots on my board so don't really love the book night comparison the KCP one honestly is maybe slightly better but I'd go more of like Take Jalen Suggs, but maybe like 92% of the player Suggs is. But again, I was a big and remain a big Jalen Suggs believer. Um, but we're going to get into a break now. Coming up next, we will do Keegan Murray and Benedict Matherin. All right, NBA fans, are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA? Then you need to try the award-winning app, Prize Picks. It's daily fantasy made easy. You can pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections and win up to 10 times on any entry. They can be made in 60 seconds or less, and they have safe and fast withdrawals. Prize Picks offers any prop you can think on, think of from points scored to rebounds, even steals, and they do allow mixed sport entries so for a limited time they being price picks have an exclusive no-brainer offer where users get fifty dollars for free if a player in your first entry scores a single point but you must use code nba that's right fifty dollars for free if you use the code nba and your player that you've picked scores a single point All right, so Keegan Murray is the guy that is up next. The closest statistical comp to him per Bart Torvik was actually Grant Williams of the Boston Celtics. Of course, played at Tennessee, was a phenomenal college player in a different way, though, than Keegan Murray, in my opinion. So I'll talk about that in a second. But the comparison that NBA Draft.net had, so kind of the just the fun 
internet comp here. Otto Porter Jr. Again, this is another one where I don't necessarily agree too much with either. I don't even know. I think I would say probably closer-ish to Grant Williams. But the thing is, Grant is known for his defense, his strength, and his positioning. And so that's just much more of a question mark for Keegan Murray, in my opinion. So, like, I just don't see that much similarity there because I think Keegan has more upside as, like, a scorer, like, the functional athleticism on the ball and just the numbers he put up in college indicate that there might be more there. But on the other hand, Grant Williams had those really just very good building blocks of a useful role player in the NBA. Now, like a lot of role players and like a lot of young guys in general, it took him a few years, but he has flipped the script and he's a very valuable player, a part of this Celtics renaissance in the second half of the year. So just those building blocks that I talked about and the reasons why I really liked him as like a potential role player in the NBA as a prospect the physical strength, which I think can be underrated, it can be underrated or overrated in certain senses, just like most traits can. But but overall, I think that is a valuable thing that he had in his ledger. The passing, where I think he was a better passer uh, than Keegan Murray. And then just mainly the defense, the strength on the ball, the ability to move his feet and... He, he was just a better defensive player in college as well. And so that was more projectable. So again, these skills, these building blocks is a useful role player. Also, whether you buy into this or not, but like the personality, the infectious personality that that uh, Grant Williams had, a lot of people kind of enjoyed and liked that part of him. And I tend to think that there's something to that as well. So those are some big differentiators there as well. One thing though that I do think NBA draft.net actually nailed though is you know it's kind of simplistic again just like doing the comps but they kind of rank all the skills one through ten and it's just kind of fun I, I think it's fun uh but I think they nailed this because they gave everything for Keegan Murray a seven or eight there's no range really to his skills no standout skill and I think that's where they nailed it because that's one of my main concerns with him as an NBA prospect is what exactly is his standout skill? What's going to separate him at the next level? And the other thing that I'll add here that's an important caveat with him as a prospect, I value age, I value youth more than most, but he is going to be 22 before he does play an NBA game. So he is older for a sophomore. Now, the first two guys that I've talked about, again, Keegan Murray and Johnny Davis, it sounds like I'm a little bit lower on the consensus on both of them, but I, which is true. I am a little bit lower than the consensus, but I don't dislike them as prospects. Like, if you remember, going back to the summer, these were two guys that I went to bat for that after Ivy, after Matherin, these were my two guys as the best returning prospects in college basketball. I just think that a lot of other people have kind of passed up where I am. I just can't draft Johnny Davis in the top five, and I can't do that for Keegan Murray either. I just don't see the standout skill. I don't really see quite the foundation for like a great role player either, like if he doesn't hit on like a higher end outcome. But in getting to the closest comp I could come up with, 
Now, this is a higher end outcome. This is like an 80th percentile outcome. Like things go well for Keegan Murray would be kind of like Miles Bridges, but 10% less athletic or like just vertical pop. The reason I say that is because Miles Bridges has gotten to a really good spot, even for an NBA player attacking off the bounce. And Keegan Murray is a good functional athlete too. I think they have similar builds, though I think Miles Bridges also is a little bit stronger physically. Um, Both like good enough shooters, but kind of meh shooters. Both are skilled, but one thing that I noticed that stands out watching them is they're very kind of straight line drive towards the rim, always moving forward. You don't see a lot of step backs with Keegan Murray. You don't see a lot of multiple changes of direction on a drive or on a certain sequence offensively. He just kind of uses his size and like physical tools to overwhelm guys in college. And so I think he's going to need to really improve the skill and the nuance facets of his game offensively, whether it's the handle, whether it's the change of pace, whether it's getting to more of a pull-up game, things that Miles Bridges has improved on, but still kind of fits into that same archetype. So that's a higher end outcome is kind of a Miles Bridges type, but like 10% less athletic because let's face it, Miles Bridges is a dunk contest athlete. Uh, I'll do one more and then we'll get into a break. So this one, I think, well, I'll I'll give you the comps here first. The NBADraft.net comp here was Andre Drummond, which I don't really agree with. I think that's too simplistic. It's just a lot of the big rebounder athletic centers are compared to him. That's not my favorite one here. But I think the statistical comps, there's two of them that Bart Torvik, I think, really nails. Not only the statistical side, but I think just watching them play in the player type. And so that's Derek Favors and Robert Williams. I think I've talked about the Derek Favors, Jalen Duran comp before on this podcast, because Duran is one of my favorite prospects in this class. But I think they, I think they really hit the nail on the head with this one. So the physical stuff between Favors and Duran is like actually really close, very similar size and frame. Now, Younger people might only remember Favors with like the broken down back, not the athlete he once was, but coming out of Georgia Tech, he was a really good athlete. Like you could argue, I don't know exactly. I think you could say that Duran has got slightly better vertical pop, but I think his physical profiles, I think they're actually really similar. I think one area though that he does beat Derek Favors is the passing where I think that's a little bit underrated. I'm not saying he's Jokic or he's going to be an elite passer, but he's above average for his position and also for his age, because remember, he should still be a senior in high school. So that's where this transition to also the Robert Williams comp is really good because their statistical stuff is like really, really similar as well. Um, In terms of the assist percentage, very similar between the two. The defensive numbers, the block rate, both are around 10. Robert Williams slightly higher as a freshman. Steal rates are the same. Rebounding rates are almost identical. Their overall like effectiveness, the BPM, it's eight to Robert Williams versus six and a half to Duran. So just across the board, very, very similar. 
And so I think it's cool when the statistical comp actually hits. And I think this is the rare sense where I, I would be comfortable telling people that haven't watched Duran that he is kind of a mix of favors and Robert Williams. I think this comp actually really fits. And so, you know, that's kind of fun. Now, some people might be saying that those comps are like kind of underwhelming if you want to take Jalen Duran in the top half of the lottery. And frankly, I disagree because I remember favors before the injury, like in today's NBA where he's playing center. And if you add maybe just slightly better athleticism, if you want to believe Duran is a better athlete and add a little bit better passer as well, then that guy is certainly a, a top half of the NBA starting center. And frankly, because Jalen Duran is so young, there's still room for improvement. Like I think there's a higher ceiling than that. And Robert Williams, too, right now, a guy, again, for the Celtics, that's a big part of them turning this around. The way he's playing, unfortunately, he got hurt, but you could really argue that he's a top three or four, at minimum, top four player on an NBA finals level team. Like, he is that good. He has been a borderline defensive player of the year candidate when healthy. And so if you're getting a top 10 starting center in the NBA and Jalen Duran, And he kind of fits one of those comps. If he ends up being kind of this mix between the favors and Rob Williams, those are fun comps. Yeah. You could find a more exciting one, but to me, like I'd be pretty happy to get that at seven in this class to get Robert Williams. Um, so finally one that I think really fit well, Let's get into a break, and then coming up, I got one final one, and that is going to be Benedict Matherin coming up next. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. This is the time of year that most everyone's given up on their New Year's resolutions, but you do not have to. You just have to eat right, and Built Bar can help you do that. They are low-calorie, high-protein you can go ahead and replace your candy bars with these. They are better. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. And you can go to built.com and scroll down to see their macros chart. You'll be blown away. High protein, again, low calorie, high fiber, low carb. And at Built Bar, they are also, apart from uh, being healthy, they taste very good. They're made 100% in chocolate. And... Because you're listening to our show, if you go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, you'll get 15% off your order. Again, promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. Alrighty, so let me finish it up here with Benedict Matherin. The NBA draft comp that I found online was DeMar DeRozan. I don't agree with that one. Malik Monk was the one that actually, like, one of the closest statistical comps. And I don't hate that one. Now, Matherin's about two to three inches taller. So if you want to say Matherin's, like, three inches taller version of Malik Monk, like, that excites me. That'll do something for me. Um, KCP was thrown around earlier for Johnny Davis. I think that actually fits Benedict Matherin a little bit better. And I've got one from a couple of years ago that I think fits. This is another guy that's gone through injuries, so people probably don't remember him quite as fondly. But 
he was a very good prospect and had a very promising start to his career. He didn't quite reach the higher end outcomes, again, struggled with injuries and playing for mediocre teams, but a Jeremy Lamb coming out of UConn is another one that I think is pretty comparable. Now, Jeremy Lamb back then in like the mid-2010s, like 2013, 12, whenever he would, uh, finished up his career at UConn, he took a lot of mid-range shots. Benedict Matherin takes a lot more threes, and I think even just nine years later, the game has changed to that level where, you know, if you, if you threw him Jeremy Lamb on that Arizona team, I think he'd be taking a lot of those threes as well. And very similar where both of them were good enough prospects as freshmen to come out, in my opinion. Both went back to school. Similar statistical profiles. Similar statistical profiles as well. Uh, one thing, though, that I think he that I think Matherin does do a little bit better is the playmaking, which has come a long way. I think it's been one of the stories of the season. Not that it's been some seismic shift, but Matherin has been better as a passer. They've entrusted him to run a lot of pick and rolls this year. I think especially watching games, he's done a good job finding the roller and throwing lobs, which has been fun to see. And so that does enhance my view of him as a prospect because I do view him mostly as an off-ball guy, kind of in this realm of a guy like Jeremy Lamb or a taller Malik Monk. Now, the thing is with those guys, you either need to be just like a little bit more physically imposing, like a better physical profile, or like really good defensively for those guys to be super valuable. I mean, there's different ways you could hit, like, Maybe you could become an, like an elite shooter like a Desmond Bain. I just, it's tough for me to see which of those avenues Matherin really hits at a high level. I don't see him as like a game-changing defensive player. There's a chance he could be an elite three-point shooter. I think he's going to certainly be good. But I think he's kind of like got a little bit of all of that, enough to say where I think he'd be worth taking in the top 10. And I, I don't really see... Like the star upside, again, he just doesn't quite have that level of physical tools, though. He is a good athlete, a little bit better than Jeremy Lamb. Um, a little bit, I mean, similar to a, like a Malik Bunk, actually, if you were like two inches taller. So maybe that is the best comparison. I think all those are kind of fun to think about, marinate on. Uh, the DeMar DeRozan one, though, does not have that kind of mid-range game off the bounce. Doesn't have that level of athleticism that prime DeRozan had either. And I don't see him being that high of a usage guy, but crazier things have happened, right? So not out of the realm of possibilities. That's kind of the fun of this. Um, but thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and let me know if you feel like talking on Twitter. I'm always there. Send me a DM. Let me know which comparisons you like, which ones you think are bad, which ones you've heard. But more than anything, thank you so much for making this episode one that you decided to listen to today. I very much appreciate it.